thank you, Andy and Mikey and Michelle, for that. That's actually one of my favorite songs. So um, thank you for seeing that. How many of you watch MasterChef Australia? Anyone? Yes. I'm a big fan of, of MasterChef Australia. It's one of the first Australian TV shows that I got introduced to. And um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that just bring me so much joy. I hate cooking. But I love eating. <laughs> and so watching MasterChef Australia gives me, I can live vicariously through them because I can, you know, see that they enjoy cooking. So I'm like, maybe one day I'll be inspired to want to cook too. I mean, I do cook, but I do it out of necessity. But, um, and I see all the delicious food that they make and um, it just makes me so happy to see it. And oftentimes I snack while watching it. But one of the things that the three judges um critique the contestants on when they you know, bring their dishes up one of the common you know phrases you'll hear is that it needs more seasoning right they'll say oh i just needed a little a little pinch of salt and it would have been just right because salt has that quality of bringing out the flavors of the ingredients right it enhances the flavors i am a big fan of salt now i know that too much salt is not good for you and my mom bless her being the amazing mom that she is, raised us um, extremely healthy. And so in my family growing up, we ate a lot of raw vegetables and fruits and nuts and grains. And if they were cooked, she would use very little salt. So I remember distinctly, like for example, for breakfast, while the other you know, children were having their sugary cereals with their sugary milk, there I was with a baked potato, no salt, no condiments, no sour cream. And she would take whole organic soybeans, soak them overnight, and then blend them to make soy milk for me with no salt and very little um, of anything really to give it flavor. So there I was, you know, with my baked potato and with my homemade soy milk. And of course, you know, if we did have any kind of cereal, it was like homemade granola mixed with flax seeds and um, chia seeds and sunflower seeds, which to like an eight-year-old is, is not always um, palatable. This Bible verse echoed my, my sentiments at that time. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. I, uh, I, I grew up, you know, um, I was always a picky eater a little bit. And so you can imagine, I'm like, oh, healthy food. And of course, now as an adult, I look back and I really appreciate that she gave me so much healthy food. Um, so I was, you know, I had like less than 10% body fat till I was old enough to cook for myself. And then, you know, different story. But um you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that she put so much love and energy into making sure that I got wholesome meals so that I grew up, you know, um, having all the advantages of, of good health. In my kitchen, however, I love salt. I've got, at the moment, six different kinds of salt sitting in my pantry. I've got garlic-infused salt. I've got sriracha-infused salt. I've got rosemary-infused salt. Um, and, of course, I've got the Himalayan salt and sea salt. I actually also have rock salt. I like my salt. Salt, or sodium chloride for you chemists, have been an essential um, and precious commodity for thousands of years. It's one of the oldest trade items um, recorded in history. Salt was not only used for seasoning, but it was also used for preservation, as, as well as ancient religious offerings. It was a valuable trade item between the Egyptians, the Phoenicians, and other Mediterranean traders. 
In fact, because it was historically used as currency, the word for salary that we have today comes from the word salt. Salt uh, is Latin. A bit of trivia for you in preparation for tonight's trivia night. The word, uh, the phrase, you know, he's not worth his salt, comes from the practice of trading slaves for salt in ancient Greece. Also in the UK, the suffix W-I-C-H um, denoted buildings that were connected with salt pits and or towns that grew up around them. And so a place like Norwich uh, means that it was once a source of salt. Yes, I did have to Wikipedia how to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> and that's apparently how you do it, Norwich. Since salt was such a precious and crucial commodity in the ancient world, it's not surprising that we find in the Bible 41 references to salt. And we're not going to go over all 41, but I want to highlight a few. For example, the Bible mentions the historical cultural practice of rubbing salt on a newborn baby after cutting the umbilical cord, washing it, and they would rub it with salt and then wrap it up as a way to purify and cleanse the baby after its uh, birth. Salt was also thrown on the ground of a conquered city to symbolize the finality of its destruction. They would throw salt on it and say, may you never be rebuilt. When the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed in around 2000 BC, the angel warned Lot and his wife, whom the angel rescued, and said, don't look back, don't delay. And the story goes that Lot's wife turned around and she turned into a pillar of salt. When King Artaxerxes of Persia fulfilled God's prophecy in 457 BC and let the Levites and the priests go back to Israel to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, he decreed that the treasures of the provinces give Ezra 3,400 kilograms of silver, 22 kiloliters of wheat, 22 kiloliters of wine, 550 kiloliters of olive oil, and an unlimited supply of salt. This was a generous gift from the king of Persia to the Israelites to rebuild their city. Salt was also used in the religious offerings that God instituted with the Israelites. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 to 36, you can follow along if you would like in the White Bibles. I've got the page number there for you. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Gather fragrant spices. And he's describing how to create the incense for the sanctuary. And he says, raisin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanum, which is a type of flower, and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together and sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where I will meet with you in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. And God also told them, hey, don't make this, don't follow this recipe for anything besides the incense for the sanctuary. This was a special recipe and it had salt in it. Also in Leviticus chapter 2, God goes on to say, season all your green offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. In fact, um, even though the Jews don't uh, have a temple and offerings anymore, every Sabbath, the, the people who follow Jewish faith, they will dip their bread in salt on Sabbath as a reminder of the covenant that they made with God. In essence, salt sealed the deal. Whether it was a covenant between God and his people, or whether it was a covenant between um, entities, salt uh, sealed the deal. 
the people of Israel had had pledged in the old covenant in the old testament times they had God had given them his laws his statutes his principles and the people said everything you have said we will do we will make this covenant with you and they deal and they seal the deal with salt but the problem of course was that over and over again they failed to keep their end of the covenant over and over again they rebelled against god hurt others and did everything contrary to what he commanded so was humanity doomed to self destruction god loved the world so much that he decides all right they can't keep this covenant i'm going to have to come up with something else to save these people so then he sends jesus and jesus comes into the world and he lives a life of perfect purity he becomes the perfect offering he lives his life in such a way that when he dies on the cross and takes our place and basically does what no human being could do fulfilling the covenant his life of living according to god's will was the salt that sealed the deal and now anyone who believes that jesus died for them and accepts jesus's full forgiveness will experience the blessing of salvation again the root word of salt interestingly there's a painting of the last supper by leonardo da vinci and uh can you see what this is it's a it's a, it's a little uh, bowl of salt that has been spilled by judas perhaps symbolizing that he has rejected the salvation that Jesus is offering he has spilt the salt and rejected the new covenant which at this last supper Jesus uh instituted by saying you know he loves symbols so he said here is my body broken for you here is my blood spilt for you and he said do this in remembrance of me he said this is the new covenant that i am giving you And of course the most famous reference to salt in the Bible is found in Jesus's um discourse often called the Sermon on the Mount where he says uh let me make sure yep you are the salt of the earth but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor can you make it salty again it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket Instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What did Jesus mean when he said you are the salt of the earth? When reading the Bible and and you have a question, it's always good to read around the context. So we see here that um he gives the illustration of the salt and then he gives the illustration of the light and he ends it by saying let your good deeds shine out so that everyone will praise your heavenly father we are salt and we are light for the purpose of everyone else who are non-believers looking at us and saying wow there is a god and wow he's good another tip for reading the bible is to ask yourself is there another place in the bible that has something like this that i can compare it to and the answer is yes um this reference to jesus saying you are the salt of the earth is is mentioned three times in the gospel records of jesus we're going to look at mark chapter 9 verses 35 to 37 mark 
chapter 9, verses 35 to 37. And, and stay with me. Hold on, let me just... Yep. Um, there's three slides here, and you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to skip a few verses as well. It says in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 and onwards, Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And if you kind of browse before this, you find out that disciples had been arguing with each other about who was the greatest. Okay? And Jesus knows that they're talking about this. And so he asked them, hey, what are, you, what, are you, what are you all arguing about? And they're very silent, just like my kids. What are you guys fighting about? Dead silence, right? But Jesus knows. And so Jesus preemptively just calls them over to him and says, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. And then he goes on to say, talk about that. And John says, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Jesus talks about the importance of children and how um, we treat one another. And then he, uh, we're skipping down to verse 49. He says this, For everyone will be tested with fire. And in the original Greek, it says, Everyone will be salted with fire, and every sacrifice will be salted with salt. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. So Mark gives us a little bit more compared to Matthew. It's telling us this, this context of the, of the disciples fighting with each other, having power struggles, right? Not able to get along. But also they had this hostile, uh, hostile attitude towards anyone outside of the group. And Jesus says to them, hey, draw the circle bigger. Be more inclusive. Have peace with each other. Have the qualities of salt. Right? Salt that enhances the flavor. Salt that brings out the best in, in what's around it. Right? Salt that preserves and saves. It purifies and makes the offering acceptable to God. Because Jesus' death on the cross was that was that example. His life was that ultimate example of showing others, this is what it means to be salt, right? This is what it means to be inclusive. This is what it means to love. And this is what it means to follow God's will. And when he made that ultimate sacrifice on the cross, his, his, his offering was salted with his perfect life. And that's why it was acceptable to God. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to the same calling to be the salt of the earth. Follow with me in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to uh, once again go through a bit of this passage. So stay with me. Romans chapter 12. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And we're going to skip down to verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do that you do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is what it means to be the salt of the earth. In fact, that phrase, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's a salt of the earth, right? That phrase comes from this passage where Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. Be at peace with others. Be someone who is honest, who is reliable, who is trustworthy, who is compassionate. Someone who is not condescending, who is not sharp who's with their words and bitter with their words, hurting others, but someone who builds people up. Someone who celebrates with those who are happy and mourns with those who mourn instead of bringing more misery to them by the words we speak. In these days of social media, it means not just what we say to each other face, on, face to face, but also what we say online. Right? What kind of impact are we having on others? What kind of picture of God are we sharing with the world? Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 say, Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Bible is giving us counsel. He says, hey, when you are talking to someone who is not a believer, right? When you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in God, it says, be wise. Let your conversation be seasoned with grace, right? Seasoned with salt. In other words, it's not so much what you say, but how you say it and who you are that speak louder than the words you speak. Someone listening to you talk about God is going to believe you or not based on if they look at your life and they think, yeah, you're the salt of the earth. You're someone who, who actually is kind and loving and reliable and trustworthy. But if they look at you and you, you say all the right things about who God is, but your life portrayed the opposite, you have no credibility. How many times have you cringed as a Christian, well-meaning as though they might be, talked about God in a way that made you run away from them? Right? Sometimes I walk the streets of Melbourne and I'll hear someone you know, yelling or screaming some things and I think to myself, and, and they're trying to give me things and I'm like, no, I don't want, right? And I'm thinking, I actually believe in God and I believe God is so different from the person that you are representing him to be. 
our conversations have to be seasoned with salt. How do we do that? The City Bible Forum, which is an interdenominational ministry, is hosting a conversation between two philosophy professors about the existence of God. And uh, there's some pamphlets out in the front registration desk. You can also go to the website. But um, Roy and I have registered to go, and you can come with us. We can sit at a table and eat dinner together. But um, it's basically two professors, one from Monash University, one from Melbourne University. And uh, I believe one is Christian and one is not. And they're going to be having not a debate, right, but a conversation. And so if you want to come along and see how, how do we talk to one another, right? How do we listen to each other? How do we have dialogue that is seasoned with salt as we talk about God? I'm very curious about how it goes. And so come along with, with us. Um, I, th- I believe it's $25 to, to enter. It's at a restaurant in the CBD. Our conversations, not only with non-believers, but with everyone, obnoxious or offensive, or is it something that builds each other up? And I know that tearing each other down is a national sport, right? But is that what God calls us to do? Having our speech seasoned with salt means revealing Jesus in our interaction with others. When people spend time with us, do they feel God's presence? And are they drawn closer to God as a result? Or have we lost our flavor? One of the reasons that Christianity has such a bad rap here in Australia is because of Christians. Christians who have lost the flavor of salt. Christians who, long, who no longer behave or talk like Jesus. Is there any hope for us to be transformed and, and regain that saltiness? There's a story in the Old Testament of a man named Elisha. He lived um, around 850 BC and he was serving the people around him in northern uh, kingdom of Israel. And the Bible says that one day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited him. We have a problem, my Lord, they said. This town is located in a pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. We will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. God can heal the bitterness, the jealousy, the anger, the disappointments, and all those things that are happening in our hearts that make our lives not a blessing, but sometimes very difficult for others around us. God can heal that and transform us into salt of the earth so that we can then be a blessing to our community so that we can become life-giving fountains of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, this week I was really under the pump. I was, I was really stressed. I had a lot going on. And yesterday um, I was going to drop the kids off. Micah was in a sports um, holiday program, and it was a bit farther away. And I was like, oh, I need to hurry up and get these kids off so I can go back and, and work. And, you know, I was rushing, rushing, of course. You know, they're taking their time, playing with their toys. And I was getting frustrated and angry and grumpy. Got them in the car, and um, I meant to turn on um, the CD with some songs on it, but I accidentally pressed the wrong, um, I, you know, I've got six decks on my, on my CD player, and I pressed the wrong one, and on came, um, 
I've got this international, uh, this children's, narrated children's Bible. And usually, you know, the children don't want to listen to it because it's just narration rather than songs. But um, I popped it on and it was quiet in the car and everybody, including myself, were listening. And it was a narration of Matthew chapter 8. And so, you know, it's telling the stories of Jesus and the entire 15 minutes drive, dead silence, and everybody was listening. And, and at the end of that 15 minutes, um, it's, it, once in a while there's a song. And um, the song came on. And I'll put on the lyrics for you on the screen. It's a song that says, Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontide and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And, you know, the song played. And, you know, I was already feeling a lot calmer just by that 15 minutes of silence and listening to the stories of Jesus. But when the song came up, I was so convicted. If I'm sowing seeds of anger and impatience into my children, why should I be surprised when at the end of the evening I pick them up and I'm reaping their grumpiness? If I'm sowing seeds of, you know, of gruffness, then I, I, I sh- then I can't be surprised if they then take that and interact with others throughout the day and they become upset. And it convicted me so much that after I dropped them off, I just kind of sat in the car for a bit, listened to the rest of it, and I just prayed to God, asking for forgiveness, and, and realizing that what we sow, we reap. Right? And it's not just the kindness, right? It's about the witness. It's about God's character, his full character of grace and love and compassion and righteousness. Are we the salt of the earth, or have we lost our flavor? And the hope that the Bible gives us is that as we make time for God, right? 15 minutes sometimes is all it takes. As we make time for God and give him space, give him our attention, give him our focus so he can talk to us, so he can speak to us, whether it's through the word of God, whether it's through a song, whether it's through a friend, whether it's through prayer, that he can talk to us and help us to change our course and regain that salty flavor of being a blessing for the world. The greatest evidence for God is not all the arguments for creation, all the arguments uh, about Jesus' historicity. The greatest evidence for God is the miracle of a transformed life. That when someone sees how much your character has developed and grown to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more honest, to be someone who gives of themselves, then they can believe that there is a God who has transformed you. There's a man named Scott Harrison. He used to be, um, from the age of 18 to 28, a nightclub and party promoter in Manhattan. Every night, he would bring all the good-looking people into the clubs, right? And, and he would bring in, you know, people who would spend above a certain threshold. I think it was like more than $150, um, you know. And he would get a percentage of, of the money profits from that night from that bar. So he was making three to $5,000 a night. And um, he, he, in his interview, he talks about how he was basically partying every night. Come home drunk, sleep through the day, go back and do it again. And he did it for, and he was um, organizing parties for MTV, VH1, L, and you know all these celebrities. And 
After 10 years of working in this field, he felt spiritually, morally, emotionally bankrupt. And if you want to read more about um, his story, he just put out a book called Thirst that came out last year. And it talks about how in the middle of a party he's hosting with like hundreds of people, he basically has this crisis where he just says, finally just realizes, I don't want to live this way anymore. This is not making me happy. And he was 28 years old. He said, I want something different. So in August of 2004, he quit his job and he tried to volunteer at a charity. He applied to all kinds of nonprofit organizations saying, hey, can I come and volunteer with you? And they all rejected him. No, right? Because they, they looked at his profile and they're like, no. But then one nonprofit organization called um, Mercy Ships, and it's basically this um, floating hospital that, that provides health, free health care for, for people. They said, okay, fine. You can come and be our photographer, but you have to pay us $500 a month. <laughs> and he said, okay. So he went on to uh, Mercy Ship, and he was um, basically taking pictures of patients before and after, patients with tumors, patients with various conditions. Um, he took, you know, over 15,000 photos. And he just saw the needs. And one of the things that he did was, um, you know, because he had amassed a huge email list from his 10 years working, you know, promoting things, he decided to send a, some, a few of these photos to that email list. And to his surprise, people started donating to Mercy Ships. So then when his internship finished uh, after the one year, he came back and he opened a gallery in Manhattan for you know a period of time. And he um, put up some of his best photos and he charged everyone an entrance fee. And by the end of the night, they had raised $96,000 for Mercy Ships, which he gave 100% of it straight back to Mercy Ships. Then he went and did a second year with Mercy Ships. And while he was there, Harrison was, was looking at all the, you know, the needs, the, the, the medical needs, and he realized, you know what, if they had clean water, a lot of the, their diseases could be prevented. And so he really felt um, this call to do something about it, to help provide clean water for, um, for these people. And so on his 31st birthday, September 7th, 2006, Scott did what he did best, which is throw a party. So he threw a birthday party, but he charged everyone. Um, he said, donate $20 at the door. And um, he was launching a nonprofit organization called Charity Water. And so in that one birthday party, he raised $15,000. And he... Um, you know, they started this charity and it's ongoing. And it, since 2006, they've raised $300 million to create and 100% of the donations go towards building these, these wells, wells and uh, stations uh, for clean water. And he, uh, Charity Water, they kind of encourage you to give up your birthday, you know, which is what he did, to, give, to use your birthday to raise money. And that's where Micah and I got the idea um, to do the backpack bets. Um, and this is what we're collecting funds for tonight, for the trivia night. And every dollar counts, so whether it's a gold donation or if you can afford to give more. Um, the money that you give, 100% of it, will go towards getting backpack beds for the homeless here in Melbourne. And so we've already raised some money, but we're hoping to um, get to $1,000 combined by all our uh, fundraising. We've, we're also doing a Run Melbourne in July. For those of you who want to walk or run the 5K with us,
Um, we're also doing that and we're fundraising for the same cause. So we've got that stream, um, my, my birthday stream, which is still open if anybody wants to give to our birthday uh, donation. Um, or tonight, if you can put cash um, or you can go on the link on the website to give towards backpack beds. And we're hoping to get to hopefully um, $1,000. One backpack bed is $100. And they're waterproof and they're uh, non-flammable and they're also um, antibacterial so that you know mildew and things don't form on it. But there's so many other ways to be salt of the earth, right? This is just one way that we can provide um, some aid. You know, as, as I as I was learning about um, Scott Harrison, and I was just thinking, there's so many people in the world who are doing their best, doing whatever they can in their own capacity, to show God's love for the world. And that's what it comes down to, to discovering and listening to that still small voice prompting you to take a moment for a stranger, to care for a friend, to be patient with a coworker, to look for the opportunities to season your surroundings with God's love. And it is my prayer that as we turn our eyes on Jesus, that his incredible loving grace will permeate our thoughts and our behavior, our words, our actions, so that we can be a blessing, right? So that our, our workplace is a happier, more harmonious place because we are there. That our home is a holier, more pleasant place because we are there. That our classroom is a more inclusive and welcoming place because we are there. And that as a result, the people of Melbourne will taste and see that the Lord is good. This is my prayer. And I invite the hymn team back up for closing song. I believe it is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us salvation, for giving us um, a new way and a new life where we can be more like you. Help us to make time and space to really spend um, that quality time with you that allows us to be the salt of the earth. And I pray that you will forgive us for the times when we have lost the flavor of salt and have misrepresented you to the world. And we ask for wisdom and for your Holy Spirit to be with us as we go throughout this week so that we can um, be a blessing to those around us, Father. As we go into a time of discussion, um, I pray that we'll be able to make more connections, more applications to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.